Hi, my name is Hans Peter Meyer, and I'm the host of the Men's Work Podcast, where you'll find interviews with men and with women. You'll find yoga classes, you'll find reflections, you'll find a lot of material to hopefully help you move through the tests that life has handed you end of marriage, loss of job, marital relationship stress, fatherhood, just being overwhelmed. It's a lot. So listen, if you need to talk, I've got no charge mini coaching sessions at menswork.ca. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of uh, the Men's Work Conversations. In this episode, I'm talking with Ted Reiter. Um, Ted's a rabbi. He's also uh, one of the uh, assistants with John Wineland, and that's how I know him, as an embodiment uh, trainer. Uh, we talk about uh, the spirit, uh, men's work and spirituality, and we're just going to jump right into uh, the conversation. Uh, Ted's fascinating guy for me, and um, here we go. Was I had this, this drive to bring healing to the world? somehow make it a little better, heal the wounds of, of the world. And at one time I thought this was really on a large scale, um, working with, with public policy and working with big, uh, you know, big on, on the more uh, communal level. And, and then somewhere along the way, I realized that I could bring healing to the world one person at a time. And it wasn't just like some place along the way. I know exactly where it was. I was I was doing a chaplaincy program in the hospital, and I had the oncology floor. Wow! And it was interesting. I had, I had both the oncology floor and also the rehabilitation floor. And I thought oncology would be like super depressing, and the rehab floor would be invigorating. As it turned out, it was the other way around because on the rehab floor, we had people who had had strokes and really couldn't communicate much. Or we had people who, you know, had had some bad break in their leg or something like that. And they just weren't really in that place of going deep. But on the oncology floor, this is just, you know, at least my experience there. On the oncology floor, people wanted to go deep. They wanted to explore the meaning of life. They wanted to explore their life. They wanted to explore places that they had Stumbled. And what was left for them in life is really just a beautiful experience. And it was that place where I said, oh, I need to, I need to be with people one-on-one. But it was still a number of years later that I recognized that I was missing my own spiritual connection. I had been in service to other people. I had been you know, working in the hospitals and other places, working in synagogues. I was in Southern California at that time. But there was still something inside of me that was just a bit empty. And so I went on a spiritual journey and studied with different people, became a spiritual director along the way in addition to being a rabbi, but just kept searching and searching and searching. And that went pretty well. I went pretty deep until I kind of exploded my whole life. And marriage and career and, and job, everything just totally I brought to pieces and 
it was at that time that I recognized that there was the deep spiritual work that I had been doing, but there was something else that was still missing. And what I found was men's work. And specifically, I found John. I found John Wineland and went into went into one of his programs, almost walked out, to be honest. It was a co-ed program that he was leading with Kendra Kunov, who's a fantastic teacher, and they used to do a lot together. Uh, but I almost walked out. Because it was just, it was too conference. It was, it was like it was blowing my good liberal values of the world apart that, that men and women could have different energies running through them, that we could have masculine and feminine energies within my own body and within your body. And it was really just uh, on one level too much, but I, but I stuck it out. And I went deeper and deeper with John and with some other teachers and found a beautiful melding of my own spiritual journey and what men's coaches and men's communities were offering. And then I started seeing the deep spiritual roots in this men's work. And so my own tradition informed what I was seeing. And then what I was experiencing within this men's work started playing back into my own Judaism. And the two started really to enrich each other. And I ended up learning more about Judaism through the eyes of this work. And John is a, a, a Buddhist since childhood. And so though the teachings are not necessarily you know, quote-unquote Buddhist teachings, that's, that's his fabric. That's what he brings to it. And, and the more I learned through his teachings, the more I understood my own background. And so the two just played beautifully off of each other. And I recognized that, uh, that for many men, the, the, uh, the promise of a better relationship is what brings them to men's work. Connection with other men, a relationship with with a partner, with another man, in their life, with their parents, with anyone. Right? But it's it's kind of that that idea that they could have a better relationship might pull them into men's work, or struggling in some place, wherever in life, with their career, with their vision of the future, feeling stuck. That those things might bring them in, and tools are taught. But the deeper you go into it, you recognize that there's a spiritual element that goes through all of it. And that's really what has has captured my attention and where I found real beauty of, of opening and opening um, and, and different traditions playing, uh, shining new lights on each other. I'd be really interested. I mean, I've been... So I grew up in a uh, German-speaking German Russian Mennonite community here on Vancouver Island. So my my grandparents, they were those people. They left Civil War, Soviet Union. My dad came from post-war Germany, and he was not really in any way spiritual. It was interesting because he was when he was 18 years old, he landed here and kind of found some kind of salvation or redemption by almost being fostered by a neighboring Mennonite family who showed him a different way of being. I mean, I asked him one time, like, your your family, your, 
you're you're all the sons of an asshole alcoholic you know you're the rest of your siblings are pretty fucked up you're pretty fucked up <laughs> but you you're, you're different and you and I have a different relationship than any of my uncles and aunts have been with their kids. What was the difference? And he said, well, it was meeting this, this couple when he was 18. And I'm not sure why I'm bringing that up, except that all of my life, I've never really, I've never identified as a Christian, but I've always been interested in those kind of things. And so now, when you say those kinds of things, what do you mean? Like ritual or? Not so much maybe? ritual, but the, the well, I'm, I'm interested in the sociology of it and the history of it. I mean, I just find that fascinating in itself. But as I pra- start to practice things, so as I start to meditate or as I did my yoga teacher training, as I start to study some of that and some of it's historical, but then I get into it and, and it's like, oh, this is actually, like my life feels beautiful now. You know, and the only way I can describe that is I'm touching something that others have called God. Um, I don't know if I'm even comfortable with that word, but I but that's how I describe that. You know, there's something that they were describing like God, and I get there. So when I, but one of my questions to you first is, um, so you you know like you sounds like you've had like a since you were a child you've had an interest in questions of like what is life about what is my tradition that kind of stuff so i have an affinity there with that at what point like you describe this experience in the oncology department and then you describe like when things really fell apart for you how old were you when things fell apart yeah uh um, well it's only about eight years ago so that means i was 43 or so at the time so I had a, a life-changing accident when I was 38, and and then, then I started doing research on, and I was in a, in a men's group that was more therapeutic than, I don't know what you would even call other kinds of men's group, but this was definitely had a therapeutic component to it. And I just saw lots of us who were there because we'd either exploded our lives by becoming workaholics or alcoholics or whatever something right we had accidents or illness or something like that and i and there was this amazing i can't remember um it was a woman who wrote uh, gail sheehy i think the woman who wrote what color is your parachute had done written an interesting book about sort of men and life stages and she talked about this like something will happen as a man something will happen to you you know between basically 35 and 55 and you will go through this thing that we call midlife crisis. You will, like for lots of us men, all of a sudden we're like, what What are we doing? And, um, and the work that I'm starting to do, I mean, I'm seeing men, I guess lots of us just run into like a crisis of meaning. You know, we've been doing all this stuff. I mean, you described yourself as having this sense of vocation or direction my guess is you just kind of worked and worked like to me that would have that would have been my kind of my will my ego just like draw i had not really clear and it was all good stuff mm-hmm. but it ran me and it has run me into walls pretty significantly a couple of times and well, it's, i think and it's only the um and one time there was a you know a men's group that i was part of that was there 
And it was, you know, it served a really important uh, purpose. But it wasn't until I had a real crisis that I that I had to. That's where the the spiritual component came in. Now I'm going to fast forward here to, you know, right now I'm part of this path of the embodied masculine with that you're one of the trainers with with John Wineland and company and. And uh, I keep going back to these precepts. Now, I don't know where the precepts have come from. They're, whether John, you know, whether they came to him on the mountain or something, or whether he's worked on it as a team, or however they came to him. Those, to me, keep pointing to, like, deeper spiritual questions. And, and that's, I love that stuff. I mean, that to me is, that's the stuff that I want to work on. And I want to hear other men talk about yeah. it. Well, I love how you've taken one each day and you've started to explain it and, and, and give not this from the beginning of the program, right? Let yeah. me let me dig into number three or number four. I want to go back though to something that you said. And I was looking for this book and I can't seem to find it. But it's called Life is in the Transitions by Bruce Feiler. And it came out just over this this past year sometime. And he describes life quakes. That makes sense. We have, we have these bumps in the road quite often. But we have life quakes every six or seven years, I think you said. Maybe it's five or eight. Every, every this many years, we have these life quakes, which really change us. And, um, and because we all have this, we're always in contact with someone going through a life quake. And he says they last a couple of years. And so I don't know if it's so much that we have a midlife crisis but we have a life quake. And for some reason, though we may have gone through those other life quakes, however we went through them in a healthy way, it's often, I think, this is not his stuff, I think it's around these, our 40s or so, 50s, where it really just stops us. And, um, and we realize we have to make a change. Mm-hmm. We realize we can't keep going forward this way. It's brought us to here, but it can't, it's not going to help us get to where we're going. And sometimes we don't know where we're going. And that's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's super scary. It's super scary. And, and I think that's why some men get into all kinds of trouble, right? Because yeah. they don't know where to go. So they reach for all kinds of things that aren't good for them, aren't good for their families, aren't good for society, perhaps on a larger level. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that I find is really important is to, to help people through those transitions. Um, the way, but I know a couple ways. <laughs> and I can help tease out maybe the right way for, for you or for you, but but I think the most important thing is to know that you have to, not have to do it alone. And I thought that for so long I had to do it alone. And I was the rabbi of a synagogue, a large synagogue in Southern California. And I thought I had to do it alone. I thought I had to go through our infertility problems alone. I thought I had to go through our adoption challenges alone. I thought I had to go through holding a community of Seven hundred or so, family, like like twenty two hundred people. I thought I had to do that alone, even though I had a staff, even though I had really capable, wonderful people working with me, and and volunteers with me, and people offering to support me. I still had this. I gotta do it alone. 
I don't know if I thought I'm a man, but I thought, oh, this is just what you do. And, um, and, and what I found doing this work is that I wasn't the only one who felt so alone. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, go on. John often says that men are malnourished for other men in their lives. And um, I had this great guy I worked with. And, and he was right there offering. But I, <laughs> I kept that distance. And man, I regret that. And uh, I mean, I, we should have no regrets. I regret that. Like, okay, I don't know. I, I wish I had reached out to him. I wish I had opened my arms back the way he was opening to me. So you never did? I found, I, you know, we've, I kind of moved on from there. That was a, a life in some ways I brought to a close or actually closed for right. me. Um, but now what I've learned is to really bring men into my life in a way that's very powerful, very healing, um, sometimes very confronting, <laughs> but still very loving and supporting even through that confrontation. I, um, again, I'm, I'm, you know, like lots of guys, I grew up with not a, I mean, I had, I had friends, but I didn't have, it was with intimate partners that certain parts of myself got opened up and not those have been women and that part of me didn't really open up so much with men um why and then I, I was lucky i met why, why why didn't it open up uh, it's your show can i ask you that <laughs> can i push you a little bit <laughs> okay yeah some people will know that i love attention so i appreciate getting asked questions <laughs> um I think I was more open than lots of the guys that I knew, but I still felt like, well, I didn't even know what I didn't know, right? I just, it was just sort of stumbling around. So I was lucky in some ways that my first real girlfriend was eight years older than me. So I kind of fast forwarded through a lot of early 20s wandering around and all of a sudden I was with somebody who asked, she was asking me questions mm. and she was bringing stuff up. And then I was also hanging out with mutual friends who were older than me. So I, I there were some men who were a bit older than me who in some ways helped me to have conversations about things that I wouldn't have had otherwise, like, you know, having kids and I wasn't ready for it that time or I wouldn't, my, my peers weren't having those conversations, but all of a sudden I was. But it still wasn't, like I said, I was lucky I met this guy in an art class and we hit it off and then we ended up working together and then we ended up, the work we did meant that we could sing together and we could have these, and he had kids and I didn't and he was like totally gaga about being a dad and he was a pretty special guy and uh, and he died really early, I mean, he, he, you know, he was... 40. I think, I, you know, by that point I had had kids, he, he died of cancer. And when you were talking about that experience in the oncology department, one of the things that he said to me, because we were all like, you know, down in the mouth about him being close to death. And he said, like, 
yeah, I'm going to die, but you could die too. I mean, you could die in a car accident tomorrow. Like, 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 you know, we're all going to die. And, um, and I read some things from the Tibetan book of the dead and stuff. And I just started having it. And I also had my, my sister had died when I was younger. I had a really interesting and fucked up kind of relationship. I mean, I don't know if it was particularly fucked up, but it was death had been around me. Yeah. And, um, but this guy, uh, at a certain, in my early, so my early, early twenties and all through my twenties, I had this guy and when he died, it was this huge hole. Like all of a sudden, and, and my, my wife, who I was, my first wife, who I was with, was a, I mean, in terms of this feminine masculine energy, she had like lots of crazy, challenging feminine energy. And I was just this, like deer in the headlights almost all the time. Like I just, I did not have anything that I didn't, I just didn't feel like I had any resources. And so I knew that I needed a man friend because I couldn't, I couldn't go to her with stuff. Um, so I actually started dating. Like I kind of went, okay, uh, I know a bunch of good guys. I'm going to, you know, go on dates and, and, uh, find another friend. Uh, and it took a while, but eventually I did. And then through another marriage, I, I met another guy and, and he became the wise man in my life. This, this guy, he's 11 years older than me. Uh, has had lots of really interesting experiences. And um, and this last time when I was basically exploding my life, he had told me a couple of years before, you need to slow down, you need to slow down. And then eventually I took him up on his offer to, to start meditating. And the meditation helped me to stop and to hear what else was going on. And there was actually like a lot that was going on, like, like talking to a guy today and, he, and later on he said to me you know this stuff sounds really crazy and I'm like yeah no kidding it's like so I there was Is there a, anything that really sticks you with you from those times that that like um, this is when I stopped and was quiet this is what I heard like something that's like still sticks with you oh yeah yeah I mean and that's one of the reasons why that was only two and a half years ago three years ago so you know, since that, like, I basically stopped that life in lots of ways. Shortly after, ended up in San Francisco workshop with Kendra and John. <laughs> On the basis of that, just decided to throw all my money away and go to New York for the next one. And then, as soon as the online stuff happened, which made was that the one was that the one in Brooklyn or the one or the other one? The it was one in Manhattan. Somewhere. Yeah, Manhattan. Um, and I was just, uh, yeah, it, it just, everything clicked like a lot of, like so much stuff just clicked and it was like, okay, I need to be here. I also teach Argentine tango and for me, all this stuff all of a sudden just made that dance really rich and really beautiful and it added a whole spiritual dimension to that. But what I found... And again, what I find interesting is in lots of the things that we do in, in, our, in this program we're doing and in the virtual workshop stuff and whatever, it's, it's good, but, it, but what I love is the, 
you know, what David Data would call the third stage stuff. But when we go into that place of like, like basically my question is like, I don't feel like I'm asking that anymore. I've got a pretty clear idea of how I'm doing this, but you know, how am I serving? How am I serving love? How am I, and right now it's like, how am I opening my heart to receive whatever the feminine, whatever goddess, whatever you want to call it, of this thing called life gives to me. Like, how can I, how can I become more and more still so that I can receive instead of, instead of experiencing it as pain? And that, I can't remember where that happened. Like, because I'm doing, I'm doing other stuff in terms of my yoga teacher training and stuff too, but um, this, when that stuff comes through and the stuff that we're doing, then I just feel really, it feel, I, I, I get excited. Yeah. But I want to bring this stuff back to men's work and men's groups, which my experience a lot of it is just seems to be about us coping, just struggling with There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. I, I think that there's this belief in our society that we can't. We just put, pull us up by the bootstraps and move on, right? That doesn't work. We end up bypassing really all kinds of important work. And we just carry whatever nonsense we had before into the next relationship into the next interaction uh, we, we've tried that right? we tried that for a couple thousand years <laughs> let's just uh, let's avoid the pain um, actually one of the, I think one of the beauties of my tradition one of the beauties of Judaism is that we don't avoid the pain uh, we commemorate you know, difficult times Communally, we remember people who've died individually um, a number of times per year. Uh, there's the yard side anniversary of someone's death, um, and then there's a couple other memorial services throughout the year where we go back to remember that person. Uh, so, while there's a there's a really healthy moving forward, my tradition teaches you can really only have that healthy moving forward when you're you're bringing some memories along with you. And, uh, and I think there's a connection between that and a willingness to sit in the muck for a while and also uh, a willingness just to come forward real vulnerably. This is what I've got. This is what I'm dealing with. Um, in fact, when someone dies, we take a garment and rip it. Or sometimes these days we use a ribbon, a black ribbon, and we'll rip it, but we'll wear it. We'll wear it on our on our chest. Quite the opposite of hiding. Quite the opposite of what a lot of our, at least I think North American culture teaches, which is just kind of get on with business. And to say, no, look, I'm wounded. Eventually it'll be a scar, it'll be a bruise, whatever it will be, but right now it's feel pretty raw and open. And um, 
And so within that, it provides a lot of richness for, okay, how do I support you in that place? How do I support myself in that place? How do I call on my brother for support? How do I call on something higher than me, something, something beyond me for support? You know, when we talk about spirituality, for me, it means a connection to something that's not me, something that's greater than me. I find that a lot of what happens in the self-help community is really focused on that first part, the self, self-help, right? It's all about, it's all about me or as you were mentioning David Data a moment ago or John a moment ago with different stages, very first, very first stage, like I need to get what I need to get. My tradition, others as well, but Judaism is certainly the one I know the best, teaches that there is a place for me. If I'm not for myself, who am I? But if I'm only for me, also, what am I? How do I think? How do I think more broadly? When when Jews get together for prayer, we require ten people to be present a minion, a quorum of 10, recognizing that we're part of community. We're always part of community. Um, one of the things that we do a lot with John in our program is try to expand our consciousness. Part of that is recognizing that I'm not alone. Right? I can feel you hundreds of miles away. Uh, I think Kent are here. Um, you know, I, I could feel him. I, I felt him on our Facebook page. You know, I, I, I could feel you guys. And that, for me, is part of a greater spiritual teaching. That, that I can be true to my heart. But if my heart is just all about me, then I'm missing something. You know, we have a lot of... I, I got a letter today, kind of a, a nasty gram. And... <laughs> And it ended with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking my truth. Okay. I get it. We all have our own truth. But if it's just our truth, this very personal, you know, subjective truth, and we're not taking into account the impact on the rest of the world, then you're not as conscious as you think you are. I have no idea what your question was originally, but that's where I got to. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know either, and that's how these are conversations. They just kind of go where they will go. Um, we do have a couple of participants today. We've got uh, Jason and Kinter. Um, so Jason or Kinter, if either one of you wants to ask a question or make a comment about uh, this topic, men's work and spirituality, then just use the, um, the raise your hand thing at the bottom there at the reactions. And uh, if you do decide to speak, I'm just going to say a couple of things. One is um, uh, I ask that you be respectful, um, that you put the focus on yourself. Uh, and then basically, I'm the arbiter of this this conversation. So if I don't like what you're saying or how you're, you're talking, <laughs> you I will actually dispute you, and we can talk about it later on. But I'm not going to make that the subject of this call. So um, 
I see Kinter's got his hand up, so Kinter, I'm just going to ask you to unmute. And uh, ask you to lower your hand. Okay, you're on, Kinter. He's got a question or you got a comment? Well, so I apologize. Uh, first, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so I apologize for being so late. It's crazy time. <laughs> um, and I wanted to share that I, I really found this interesting. This is why, and I know you've, Hansi, posted a few things, and I apologize. I'm always interested and I haven't been able to chime in um, or participate, but that's that's just my own issue. I find this one very interesting um, because, Ted, what you were saying really rings deep with me of the self-help men's work community it's very sometimes i find there's a lot i could get very frustrated with certain um i don't know coaches or people out there that miss that that miss the piece of like there's more than just us and i don't feel that with the work that we've been doing um but i have seen that where i'm like i get really frustrated where it's like oh you know if this person's not working out for you cut them off if this isn't working out for you cut them off if this i'm like oh my god just i understand taking care of yourself but geez the severing is really difficult for me so there's the connection piece that you spoke about but there is the the spirituality and i i will share with you that for me this is this is a particular challenge that's coming up because my father who just passed away was an episcopalian priest and did not want me raised in the church because my mom was a theosophist and that's a whole other story if you're not familiar with theosophy um but it's a it's a more of a practice of truth seeking and both of them are based you know everything based really greatly on community and so i just i just i guess kind of wanted to comment that really finding strength you know like we have our group that we broke out from um the program we're doing right now other men's groups that i've been part of and it's like i think that's a what you just said is so struck home with me is there's this amazing growth that happens internally soulfully in solitude and isolation and there is another amazing piece that happens in community and they're two very very different things but i think i just get i get very concerned it's a very good feeling to hear you emphasize the importance of that community that you know and so you're saying in judaism it's this quorum in christianity the way i was raised you know it was like wherever there's three or more you know but but still it's the same thing it's wherever there is community and i even yeah redid a tattoo on my back and in this tattoo one of the things is a lot of principles in it but one of them was three men in a canoe in the open sea because it was like you're not by yourself you're not getting anything done by yourself yeah and so yeah, i just i, like I really commend that i really appreciate this wherever it goes i appreciate it yeah you know the um the first form of meditation i learned uh was an open eye meditation, which I thought was fascinating. It took me a while to do 
an open eye meditation. You know, it's a soft eye. It's you're looking, you know, a few feet in front of you. Mm-hmm. But the teaching came from this principle of we're in this world. Not we're not dissociated <laughs> from this world. And um, and I think it was actually it was a Tibetan line of of meditation. But in the in Jewish tradition, there is an emphasis that the holiest people, the holiest sages have lived in community. Yeah. We don't have a picture of a of a man on a mountain in solitude for, you know, for 30 years. Um, and there's certainly important teachings of going out to the desert, right? A lot of yeah. a lot of our traditions have uh, Moses in the desert, Jesus in the desert, Muhammad in the desert. You know, that's that's a, a magical mystical place. But there's a huge emphasis on we want you in the world. And there's a story in our Talmud, so some of our, our teachings, of a man who was walking from here to there. He was going from his house to the study hall or whatever it was. And they were talking about, well, who was more pious? Is it the man who avoids the red light district so that he doesn't have to be, you know, he can, he can just kind of be in his own world. He's not impacted by whatever might be happening. And it was no. Actually, the guy who walks right through the red light district and who says, wow, this is so tempting. And my integrity says, I'm going to keep walking. <laughs> I'm going to get to where I'm going to go. I'm walking through here. I'm not ignoring it all. I'm not indulging in it all. I'm not ignoring it all. And so the idea of being part of larger society is where we test our values, where we test our integrity, but also um, knowing that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. That uh, he was going to the study hall. He wasn't alone. He could have studied by himself at home, right? But the, there's a t- tradition called Hebruta where we study with a partner. Uh, and actually, we even read aloud with the partner. So we can certainly read it on our own, but when I'm reading something aloud, you might pick up on something that you wouldn't have picked up on if you had just been scanning it on your own. Yeah. Even I pick up on something that I wouldn't have heard if I hadn't read it aloud. And so there's a, there's a challenging that goes back and forth, a challenging for growth. Now I'm going to stand for you, brother. Like we're going we're gonna to wrestle with this text right here, this text of learning right here. And, uh, and find whatever we find, but we're gonna do it together. I find that really a powerful mode. So it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because you said this this is in the Judaism mm-hmm. writings. And I, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, now I'm not, I was not raised in the church, right? Now, now the ironic part of it is I'm actually an elder in my church now. So I've gone from being, I, I didn't get baptized. And, my father's a priest. I didn't get baptized till I was 36. On your own. You're an adult. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And, um, and my church is very, and I'm very unorthodox in my church and my church is very unorthodox. And we haven't been meeting lately with COVID and recovering and all this, but I remember things that stand out. And one of, I want to say it's not even, it was in a parable, but it was a story. One of the stories of the Bible. I remember that exact same principle who's more pious who's more righteous who's more faithful who's more so the same question and the same challenge i feel comes up whereas it's like no 
It is not that person who is not tempted. And it's interesting. I I mentioned, and I, this feels a little off, but it feels along the same principle. I mentioned to my my men's group. I was talking with. I think it was Zach, Zach or Sebastian, both fucking awesome guys, you know, and um, they were talking about living meek and living big, and one of the guys that I, I find very interesting is um, Jordan Peterson, Are you familiar with him? This guy's like, I listen to some of the stuff, and I'm like, what an asshole, pardon my language, <laughs> but I'm like, it's such, but bluntness, right, and so one of these things that he said that I clued into a while ago was it was something that I shared this with my men that it's not the rabbit who you trust because the rabbit won't harm you, right? Because the rabbit's actually harmless. The rabbit can't do anything, can't harm anyone. The rabbit's always gonna, it's food, it eats grass. But the lion has the choice. The lion is in the world and makes choices. So kind of like you said with the guy walking through the red light district. So the, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the rabbit to not harm you? Well, the rabbit can't harm you. Maybe if the rabbit could harm you, he would, right? He's not tested. But the lion could kill you. So when the lion chooses to care for you, when the king chooses to care for you, it's a different choice. So the man, and I've had this, you know, my, my story with the woman in my life with Kim, because I didn't name her so many times with Kim, um, was that there were so many times where I was like, oh no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And I'm like, this didn't work in our relationship. What worked was here's the world. Here's where I'm tempted, but I'm going to choose you. And I feel like that's so much what you were just saying is like, here's, here's seeing the whole world here, seeing what really is. We are here in the world. We cannot ignore it. Because when you ignore it, it's like ignoring your dark side. Right. So I love that you brought that up, actually, because what you were saying had me started thinking of shadows. And one yeah. of the things we love to do in, in men's work that we really haven't been able to do all online like this, it really is, I think, important to do it in person uh, because things can go really haywire. Is, <laughs> it, is well, <laughs> awesome. So it's to do shadow work. Yeah. And what what I have found repeatedly is that the deeper I go into my own shadow, the more vulnerable I get. Yes. The more trustable I am. Yes. And it's it's counter to uh, yeah we always think it's counter to it's, it's something that I was scared to go into. But you know one of the, the beauties of of this work is that we can get really vulnerable. And, and the more vulnerable we get, the more connected we are. Uh, and, you know, earlier I was saying that, that I kept people away when mm-hmm. I was rabbi. I, I sometimes like to say I had a curated vulnerability. So I, <laughs> so I knew that being vulnerable was important, but I curated it. Like I, I knew, yeah. you know, how much I could turn, turn that dial. It was only later that I realized that that turning that dial up another ten points might feel pretty awful, but was totally liberating. Yeah, and made more of a made more of a connection. Okay, so now, go, on, go ahead. Go on, Kinder. Go on. 
Well, obviously, can you can you be? There's something I wanted to say about there with with anger. I would like to come back to the anger because that's a piece I've been tussling with. But can you go a little more for me, if if it's all right, with what you said, embracing that that dark part, and in yeah. what you said, you had to kind of curate, and you were you were kind of being cautious there because I'm curious as I am trying to get to these places of like, all right, what is each actual shadow for myself? in a different way sure, sure. so <clears throat> uh, a lot of the men that I talk to and a lot of the men who are going to be listening to this are not in men's groups yep. those of us like Kinter you've done a fair bit of work you've been in a fair bit of men's groups Ted this is what you, something that you do um, what can we so how can we help ourselves but also the men in our groups actually do this work like take it from you like how can we help each other because everybody i know is like scared shitless about vulnerability right like yep. oh yep. like yep. And, and it's it definitely is like you know it's it's a, it's a one to one million scale right i mean if you're not used to sharing anything then it's it's you're you feel vulnerable saying whether you want to go to the store or not you know or yeah yes. so so how you with your experience Ed and all the stuff that you do, I'm sure have some things that, that we can use to help be, help ourselves and our the men that we're with, whether they're friends or colleagues in a circle. Yeah, yeah. Take that risk. Right. Well, so there are a lot of men's groups that focus on this. You know, Mankind Project, there's others out there that are all about let's be vulnerable, and and that's a great that's a great first step. Uh, another way to do it is read a book with a man which already is vulnerable wow. like oh we're going to read a book together <laughs> that, that, that's intimate I mean I, I watch the two of you all of a sudden you're like I, yeah. I'm like, oh, but, but how cool is that what did, Jay just showed a book what is that book I missed it Five Levels of Attachment yeah yeah a, a, a great book um, another one I love is uh, is Robert Glover's No More Mr. Nice Guy. And if you haven't read it, you should. Because if you're not a nice guy, you probably know men who are. And it'll help shed light on a lot of them. Um, but that's one of those things that you can just start reading together. Hey, brother, here's a book I found. I bought the same copy. You read the first two chapters, I'll read the first chapters, let's talk about it. But I, I think it's just someone who has that desire. Like we often teach men how to start their own men's groups. And the first way to do it is find one guy and say, Hans, here, can I share something with you? And here's what I've been dealing with. And I don't need you to fix it. Yeah. I don't need you to tell me your story about it. But can you just hold this? Can you can you let me talk about it and see how that goes? And more often than not, the man on the other side of that conversation is going to say, "Yeah, I get it. I thought I was the only one." Yeah. Or or I don't get that. But I've got something similar. But here's where I'm struggling. I'm struggling with my partner. I'm struggling in my job. I'm str- str- struggling with my weight. 
I'm struggling with my self-worth. I'm struggling with my relationship with my parent, with my child, with my future. I'm worried about my life. I, you know, men are just hungry for that. And I think it takes a one-on-one. And you find that man. And you find a third man. And once you find three men, it's a good time to start saying, after a while, like, let's meet for a while. Let's meet once a week. And then let's create a, uh, a container. Let's create a container of what it would mean to belong to a group. What are the things to come into the group? What are the things to do during the group? How do we leave the group? How much do we expand it? Are we ready to have five men? Eight men? Uh, so I think it's just a one-on-one conversation, but it has to come from that place of, hey, I need something, and it's not something my wife can provide. Yeah. Nor, nor should she have to provide. It's not her responsibility. She's got whatever she's got going on. And and she only has so many tools as well. But, you know, it, it's, it's finding that right person. And I'm convinced no matter what size town you're in, you can find that one person. Yeah. Might take a while. And it might even take, you know, going to a woman you know and saying, hey, who do you know? Who's a deep guy you know that you can introduce me to? I, I think Hans was, you were talking about, uh, you know, kind of like you're going on dates to meet these men. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I, like I said, I, uh, for those of you who weren't here, I, I, my best friend died when I was early 30s and I knew that I needed a, a good man in my life and so I started I knew a bunch of guys and I just started taking them on dates like we'd go for a walk we'd have a conversation and it would be like it clicked or it didn't click and it took a while and it was awkward a little bit but but it's like any it's like any other date right yeah, yeah. It's so it true. leads to a really beautiful relationship or it fizzles or knows what but it but so many of us are scared to do that because the culture says we don't do that our religion says, or, or our friends, whatever it is, we, we have this block against it, which is it's why it's kind of nice to join one of these programs yeah. where uh, where you're forced to be in it. Like, I signed up because I wanted this personal stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm surrounded by 35 other guys. <laughs> uh, one of the things I see a lot um so I help, I help uh, coordinate the embodiment's leadership training, which is our long-term program with John. And one of the things I see over and over again is men join the program who really don't trust men. Mm-hmm. And they know that this is what they need to do to get there. And these are men, our, our youngest men are usually like in their, we might have someone in the late 20s. 28, 29, 30, up into the 60s. And men who've had friends of whatever kind of connection, but still have a distrust often. And uh, because they had that bad experience back in junior high, or their dad was an asshole, or you know, whatever it was. And, uh, and one of the best things that comes out of these these programs are lifelong deep friendships. Yeah. Although it's funny, my wife will say to me, uh, ask me a question about someone. Like I, 
I have no idea. I know what their soul looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I know their deepest shadows. I have yeah. no idea what he does for a living. I don't know. <laughs> no idea what his wife's name is. I, yeah, I don't know. But I know what brings him to tears. And I know the relationship he had with his father. And I know his dream for his daughter. But uh, it's that kind of relationship. You know, there's a, that, that piece right there, the biggest thing I found is I work in commercial construction. Prior to that, I was in law enforcement. Prior to that, I was a bartender. Prior to that, I was built ropes courts. Like, I had all these things that I did, right? And I remember every time someone asked you, whoa, so, you know, who are you? What are you? And you would always identify with your career. Then I felt like it was a step up to be like, oh, I'm not going to identify with my career. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I was like, that's still not me. And just what you said is like, I'm in this group, you know, or, or eight warriors. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck anyone does for, for money. <laughs> I'm like, I have no clue. None of us know. And I'm like, and I love it. And then just what you said was like, I, I could tell you so much about their souls, so much about these men. Yeah. Their struggles, their relationships, I'm fucking clue what they do to make a living. I don't even know where they live or any of this stuff. And I'm like, and it does not matter. And so that is so cool. I, I love that. I love it, love it, love it. And the title of today was something about spirituality and men's work. Um, there, there's a, a theologian, his name was Martin Buber. And he taught what he would say, it was I Thou. That you could either be in an I-thou relationship or an I-it relationship. And an I-thou is where you know the deepest part of that person, and it's as if you're becoming one with that person. Right? Sometimes we'll even do these practices where we're looking into each other's left eye and we're breathing with each other and we're feeling each other and there's a place sometimes where you and I disappear yeah that's I thou as soon as we realize oh hey this is cool we just merged it becomes I it right you're like you pop out yeah the I thou relationship is that God connection the that that is where spirit lies. It's in that connection of, of oneness. And, you know, our the science tells us that our world is right constantly, it's pushing out, right? It's an explosion that constantly is expanding, expanding. Jewish tradition teaches that we're constantly expanding and expanding. And that there's there's something about bringing things to wholeness, bringing things to to oneness. That's the ultimate expression of the divine. And we can experience it and as soon as we say, well, that's a deep connection, we lose it. But, yeah. but, but we know we can get back there. And for me, that's that's one of the beauties of what we've been exploring in men's world is how we can come together to nourish each other, to nurture each other, to find that oneness, that union, as different as we might be, to find that union, that connection, 
needs someone else, right? If, if it's just me, I'm not connected. It's me and him and him and him. When you find that place, wow, everything opens up. The world opens up in different ways. That's what I love about this work. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ted. I'm, before we, we've got only got a few minutes left, and I'm going to make sure that Jason, if you've got any questions or comments to make, that there's space for you to do that. Okay. You're good. Um. So, Jason, I just want to make a, a nod to Jason who. He's a fair bit younger than me, but he was—he inspired me a number of years ago to be a dancer. He's a—he was a—he is a, a dance teacher and an amazing dancer, and I would watch him dance. And um, and I remember one time, this was a dumb question, something like like how do I get to be as good as you or something like that. And I think his words were something like, well, you, you just got to practice. And so that's what I did. Um, and so that's a really big part of my life and my and really a big part of my spiritual life like dancing um, and creating that <clears throat> so again I, I mentioned earlier Ted when I you know <clears throat> for me Argentine tango is this wonderful expression of this masculine feminine polarity where we learn in that dance it doesn't it isn't ever discussed in that way but we learn to basically hold space for her flowering yeah. And uh, and we're always improvising. Like certainly the the show stuff, the, st- the stage stuff is all choreographed. But the stuff that happens in real life is like real life. It's it's all spontaneous. It's all improvised. And um, and because there are th- you don't just dance one dance. You dance three dances before you take a break and dance with somebody else. You actually form these little mini relationships where you get to feel her and get to feel your own my my own anxiety and insecurity and confidence and all that stuff so so when we do the practices especially when we do the co-ed practices i really that really resonates for me like okay i know when i I know when i get still and deep she actually relaxes and becomes she feels herself more beautiful I see her more beautiful and this you know so this is going to be my last comment on this men's work and spirituality thing is I mean you've talked a lot and and very eloquently about you know how we create this community of men I have two daughters and two stepsons I I have two sisters one dead I have a mother I just look at their lives and and the one, and now, now I have a granddaughter, and I just feel like I look at the my, the older women in my life, and how the men in their lives really had no clue how to how to hold space for them, how to how to encourage them, or just allow them to blossom. And I think I've done a little bit better job with my daughters than. In that generation, and not so sure about my relationships with my various wives and whatever. I'm trying to, and that's what I'm working on because I, I start to see just how what happens when a woman is actually allowed to blossom, 
And that to me is like this incredible gift of the universe. And so I feel like my spiritual work here is like, how can I get so into that I thou place where I'm relaxed? You, she are just beautiful extensions of this energy that we're just having to be sharing. And I'm going to stop there before I go on and on and on. That was beautiful. Thank you. So I, I'm going to, uh, Jason, if you have any last words, now's your chance. You're good. Kinter, any last words? I just, appreciation. Just really appreciate it. I haven't been able to join in. And like I said, East Coast, so it's like I get up in a few hours to go to work. And <laughs> I debated. I was like, all right, do I, yeah, you know what? I feel like I want to sign in. And I, like I said, I, I apologize for being so late. I don't like to be tardy like that. Um, but really appreciate that. And in, in my own personal journey, reaching back into that, when I mentioned before, that theosophical upbringing I had, that faith, that spirituality connection, uh, I'm just tapping back into where I was raised, um, and and it chimes in so much with what you were saying, Ted, about really seeing, connecting, whatever word you want to use, others, yeah. you know, and, and in that place where you're... Because I feel like there's a piece where you connect with others, and maybe this is, and maybe I'm just saying what you said the same in a different set of words. But when you connect with the others, is when you connect with something greater, something divine, something whole. And um, and I feel like it's it's almost like it's like you can't quite define it. Kind of like you said, as soon as you recognize it, you pop out of something. Right, kind of like, right. you try to define it, you're like, nah. You know, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it is, it is, it is quite something. So I really appreciate this, guys. Thank you. Good to have you here. Thanks for staying up late. <laughs> yeah, the dog keeps getting disturbed that I keep waking her up by talking. Last <laughs> words, Ted? Uh, final words. Uh, yeah, I could go on and on with this subject and uh, partially because I'm just exploring these things too. I'm still exploring, still getting excited at finding all the connections, all the way that my rabbinical ancestors had knowledge of this and we kind of lost it along the way. The whole masculine feminine, it's, it's deep within Jewish tradition. And and I'm exploring it, seeing how it's popping up. It's like, oh, that's what they meant. Now I get it. When we start talking about our own masculine and feminine, now I'm, now I'm putting these things together. So I think that, uh, you know, as I started by saying, our traditions inform each other. Uh, the Tao of Tango, nice. Um, our traditions inform each other. The more I learn about... Uh, the more I, I dig into men's work, especially I was taught by John, the more I understand my own past, my ancestry, and my tradition. So it's, it's been a rich journey for me, and um, I look forward to continuing. Thank
thank you so much for inviting me to this. It was fun. Let's do it again. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to doing it again. Uh, I just want to say that I am taking a break now for a few weeks. So at some point in September, mid late September, we'll be doing another one of these. It'll be live on Wednesday at seven o'clock Pacific time. Uh, I'll let all of you know. Um, this will get posted onto the podcast as an audio, including the questions and answers part of this uh, within the next couple of days at menswork.ca. So um, uh, if you know anybody who's interested in this stuff, please share it around. Thank you, guys. Sleep well, Kinder. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. See you Bye-bye. Bye.